You're listening to Life of the Record, classic albums told by the people who made them. My name is Dan Nordheim. The microphones formed in 1996 in Anacortes, Washington, by Phil Elvram. He got his start recording in the spare room at the business, the record store where he worked in Anacortes. After moving to Olympia, he met Calvin Johnson and began recording at Dub Narcotic Studios. The first official microphones album, Tests, was released in 1998. After signing with K Records, he released Don't Wake Me Up in 1999 it Was Hot We Stayed in the Water in 2000, and The Glow Part 2 in 2001. In late 2001, he began recording for the album that would become Mount Erie, eventually released in 2003. In this episode, Phil Elvram looks back on how Mount Erie came together. This is The Making of Mount Erie. My name's Phil Elvram, and I'm here to talk about the album Mount Erie by The Microphones from 2002-ish. It was for sure a turning point. To me, thinking about it now, it sounds like the album of... I wish there was another category between childhood and adulthood. <laughs> Is there? Adolescence? It's not adolescence exactly, but it's also not quite adulthood. To me, this sounds like the album of like somebody reaching so hard just to like figure it all out and to either find an answer to the big questions or like make an answer. My memory of when Mount Erie, the album, sort of was born is a specific moment. I was on tour by myself in like November, October, November 2001. I was on this like six week long tour around the US by myself in a station wagon that I was calling the I will sleep in your yard without you knowing tour. And I had like eight shows in Florida on that tour, which is crazy. But I remember driving south in Florida and it was just hot and trippy and surreal. And this is just the moment that I think of as the Genesis moment. I remember seeing like in the sunset, all of the signs like McDonald's, IHOP, Cracker Barrel, like the freeway signs for restaurants, the logos silhouetted by the sunset, the pink sky dark trees with like cicadas and the world just seemed menacing plus it was October 2001 so September 11th had just happened and people were 
driving around like most cars had flags flying from them and there was these rising violent racist acts happening everywhere and war was mounting there was like hatred in the air and things just felt like menacing in general <laughs> driving around the US driving in that context i remember the song the sun just kind of hit me i'm going to go get my notebook out cuz i have it written down or i have like what i scrawled in the passenger seat as i was driving in that moment Sorry, this is <clears throat> just kind of flipping through my notebook. <laughs> this is gripping radio. Ah, here we go. Okay. The sun. Ball of fire. Like that. That's the chorus. The word ball of fire. You are a ball of fire. And in Florida, that was um very present that sun. And I drew this kind of like orb which is on the LP version of the album is like this menacing kind of radiating psychedelic blob sun which seems to take up the whole sky i was in the florida keys camping for a few days by myself and like i think i got bit by a barracuda or something and then raccoons broke into my cooler and ate my food and oh here's yeah drawing like a black ship coming up over the horizon it just felt like nature doesn't necessarily want us in it or you know the world isn't necessarily accommodating and whether it was the human world of like the political violence that was going on or being in the florida keys or in the south of the us where nature itself just seems to not really want us there compared to the nature that I'm used to here in the northwest where it can be cold and wet but it's pretty gentle and accommodating you can lie down on the moss and i just felt like imperiled the oncomingness of death seemed like not an abstract thing in that context and so that was what, sort of what informed the plot of this album this mount eerie album it's like i'm going to make a tale about me going through life as one long fleeing from death. I think in that moment driving alone in Florida the whole kind of plot popped into my head. Mount Erie plot of me starting on the beach and running from a, an approaching black ship running up the mountain ultimately not being able to outrun death dying getting transformed eaten by vultures and then a couple of songs called universe like i wanted to do something that was deeper a bigger story not just more songs like i felt like i had made a lot of albums and played a lot of shows that were just a sequence of little ditties or songs <laughs> that maybe kind of held together and were cohesive as albums but i wanted to really make something like beyond cohesive I knew that I wanted it to come out of the end of the glow part 2, like a natural progression. So the glow part 2 ends with this like foghorn tape loop thing and I wanted to just pick up where that left off and have it sort of naturally evolve into rhythms and tones. Almost like <laughs> this is going to sound like I'm such a asshole or like I have a messed up view of myself, but the beginning of the ring cycle Wagner's ring cycle the way that it sort of is like 
the formation of life itself. Like it starts in this amorphous, just like drones, and then like slowly you can hear it coalesce into form. In 2001, I wasn't like thinking about that, but similar goal of like starting with formlessness and slowly creating form and structure out of it and eventually becoming like the chaos of life. But yeah, I wanted to start from nothing and show the progression into like something. to the end of making anything I'm like okay that's done what's the opposite of that because that's what I want to do next and it's sort of this like pendulum swinging between big and small or quiet and loud or close and near atmospheric or simple I just have like sort of an instinctual aversion to creative comfort I just don't want to repeat myself that would be embarrassing to me and it seemed like wow, this would be really challenging. This would be super hard to pull off. I wonder if I could do it. I think even during the GLOW part two, I was resistant to the pull of just wanting to write about, you know, hurt feelings, my little human hurt feelings. I think I was trying to write about that stuff and place it in the context of like the universe <laughs> and being small or being big compared to some things, but, you know, feeling these things, feeling the sorrow and pain of like a uh, breakup or love, and also not pretend that that's the whole picture. But yeah, I think after making those a bunch of those songs and maybe sort of getting over it a little bit more, I think I just went on tour a lot and I was by myself a lot more and I had more perspective and I was out of the sort of small community, downtown Olympia, social pushes and pulls so I never wanted to write small songs about merely feeling sad about a relationship I've definitely have done a lot of that in my life but it, my goal has always been to zoom out a little more I knew right at the beginning that I wanted the track listing to be five parts the sun solar system universe those three are like like a zooming out in scale sun solar system universe and then I had this idea that Mount Erie would be like this thing that the universe is contained inside. And then there's more beyond that. I was thinking around then, like, what's behind the stars that we can't see? Well, probably more stars, more, more universe, because it's infinite, right? So just trying to wrap my mind around that basic fact of infinity. Yeah, and also that there's just no end. Like that borders and boundaries and starts and finishes, those are illusions. Everything is actually just like permeable and blurs into the next thing physically and like temporally. And then, so there's this mountain where I'm from, Mount Erie in Anacortes, Washington. There's a picture I took of it back then where there was like a farmhouse that is in the foreground at the base of the mountain with just one farm light on at night. And so you can see the silhouette of the mountain shape and then one like little glowing green light in the foreground. And I, 
I thought, what if that little green farm light is the solar system? What if everything we know and can see and can wrap our minds around is contained inside this like lump of rock? I'm, I didn't mean to get so psychedelic or trippy <laughs> right away, but uh, yeah, that was the idea was that there was like lowercase universe and then uppercase universe that was outside of this vessel called Mount Erie. That's what I got into my head and I thought I would make an album about it. Sun is probably the track that is the most like premeditated and also complicated. And that was sort of the genesis of this whole idea was like driving in Florida and being sunburnt and uh, society burnt and just thinking about it. Oh, also I was listening to the Black Orpheus soundtrack. Actually, weirdly, I put that record on this morning at breakfast. That's what we listened to, weird coincidence. But. Um, yeah, anyone who hears the Black Orpheus soundtrack, the way it starts will be like, ah, okay, it's Phil was just covering this, basically. It's almost exactly the same. And I loved the movement of like non-musical sounds and crowd noise and horns and just like the music of the world making up the world of the album. There's a samba drum section parade that comes in and like moves across the headphones from left to right or right to left and that's after like life has been created that's after like the world has been manifested and it's just chaotic and full of commotion it takes a while i don't remember how many minutes it takes before the like song song actually starts 10 minutes or something like that i always thought in terms of an lp so like 22 minutes aside and a reel of tape on the on the 16 track held like 32 minutes. So yeah, I could fit one side per reel and just I would have to record it. Everything that happened in that 22 minutes would have to be recorded and mixed, be able to mix live. I don't know, I loved the challenge of that. I loved all the times in the studio where I would have to use a lot of adapters and cables and string things together and make lots of notes and tape with marking on it everywhere. And so I wanted to create a bigger problem for myself seemed fun. Technically, that's the explanation, aside from this, all this rambling I'm doing about <laughs> contemplating death and uh, mythology making. Yeah, once I got back to Olympia and started actually recording, I, I did a lot of planning and charting, and I did a lot of the work on paper, which I had never done before, because it was just like physically 
kind of a feat to assemble this album because I recorded it on tape. Now it would be easy to make it on a computer and just like splice the sections together, but it required a lot of paper, charts. The hardest one on the album that I can remember is that samba section in the beginning of The Sun. Maybe Adam played a little bit with me, played some tambourine or something, but mostly it was just me trying to play as many tracks as I could and bounce them together. And so yeah, it was a 16 track, although track 15 never really worked. So it was a 15 track and I would record like 13 of the tracks and then bounce all of those to a stereo mix. And then I would erase those first 13 and do it all again. Like on the Samba section, I don't know how many times I bounced, but there's probably like 50 tracks or something. There's a lot. Because I wanted it to just be like a cacophony. I wanted it to sound like an actual parade. And I bounced it to one track, which is a little scary. You lose a lot of dimension when it's not a stereo image. You can't pan anything. It's just this mono. And it, that mix better be perfect. Because once you bounce it and then erase the other ones, like that's how it sounds. I don't love it. I mean, it's okay. But there are a lot of... You can totally hear it on the album too. There's this one part where I accidentally turned on a tambourine way too loud and it just sort of like jumps out like this really aggressive tambourine right in your face and you can hear me turning it down. I mean, in some ways I really like those error moments where something jumps up in level and you can hear the, the technician adjusting it. I like those flaws because it reveals, you can hear like the performance of the mixer but yeah, there's a lot of strategy like that, thinking, okay, how's this song gonna end up? What are all the elements? What do I need to start with? I need to save some room for these things that will be bounced to then make room. And usually the singing is the last thing. Kind of just have to hear it in your head, know what space it's gonna fill. on the shore see my arm raised the singing and like that the song part of the sun I think musically was inspired primarily by the way that Bjork sings on Cocoon, on Vespertine, like scary close. Like it sounds like you're inside her mouth. <laughs> and I had never sung like that before. I usually like buried my voice a little bit in the mix or, but the intimacy of that was inspiring and scary to me. And so I wanted to put my voice right up front like that and also have it be expressive and like breathy, breathy in a way that I had never done before. Not breathy, but you know what I mean? You can hear my breathing and the breathing is part of the singing. So that, and then also the way that music is kind of jerky, the rhythmic is like, um, was inspired by this one Julie Duaron song. I think it's called Piano. 
Le Piano, maybe. It's a French one. I don't know if anyone else would hear the connection, but the way she plays guitar in that song, I just really love like these simple, like two note chords that were muted. Like barely guitar playing, just like rhythmic, almost like organ notes, but treating the guitar that way. I wanted to build the rhythm of the sun on that. And I actually think I sampled my guitar I had this little um, doctor sample by Boss, very low grade early. And even back then it was like obsolete. I got it used at a guitar store sample pad thing. And it had eight samples. And I think I sampled the guitar and played it that way. (laughs) Yeah. See that ship sail off. With its sails aloft And see me dry my eyes And see more Salty tears flow As my house is blown wide And see me watch the waves roll in From somewhere it is true that I always kind of had, in my mind, I had like my footnotes or my references, and I just didn't always share them. But with I made this booklet, Headwaters, the Headwaters of Mount Erie, with the idea that I was just going to like be up front with my influences. And it came with a CD of, uh, yeah, like Black Orpheus soundtrack was on there. Powderfinger by Neil Young was on there because he says, look out, mama, there's a white boat coming up the river anyway my switch it to a black ship anyway there are lo- yeah lots of reference points and ideas that i had at the time i've been going through my notebooks a lot because i've been working on this like a box set of microphones records and so trying to just like once again review all of the notebooks and materials from those days and see, see if there's anything worth using and so going through my notebooks I kept noticing how much I was talking about the Sade album Lover's Rock in 2001 it was major 2001-2002 somebody at the record store I used to work at the business they had a CD of it and it just it's so good it hit me and I didn't have a CD player in my car so I remember writing notes like find someone with this CD dub a tape of it before you leave on tour you're gonna need to listen to this album Yeah, it was major. That was a major album for me, right around then. I'm in the wilderness. You are in the music. In the man's car next to me. Such a good opening line. See them gather, see them on the shore. Yeah, what's that song called? Turn to look once more. That was a major ingredient in that moment of like, picturing myself on the beach, like a scene setting, looking out to see what's coming. I had just, I was on this tour alone. I met up with my friend in um, Vermont and had sort of like an emotional goodbye. This person I was like kind of dating, the person I was like emotionally entangled with. And the goodbye after we had our time together, before going to Florida, it felt like conclusive. It felt like symbolically heavy. And then I set off on my own down the East Coast 
And I remember migrating birds heading south as we said goodbye in Vermont and just like feeling the symbolism of that. And I think that made it into a song. See the flock of birds, goodbye, yeah. So it's like kind of straight up autobiographical and also deeply symbolic. The fuck of birds goodbye and turn to go inside. But I feel you on my neck. You are a to sing the quote-unquote chorus ball of fire I wanted those each word to stretch out like so uncomfortably long I had never sung like this before I never really thought of myself as like a performative singer or even good at singing I can almost hit notes but that's <laughs> that's about it and so vespertine had come out and I just felt like yeah why not me I could do that <laughs> Just to like emote a little more and stretch out my voice. Let the way that my voice frays be, take advantage of that, that the frailty of what my voice does when pushed a little too far. And not in a screamy way, but like a tender way. So that's why I made myself sing those like ball, of, like so long and running out of breath. And also it communicated like the desperation of like being under a hot sun and looking at death approaching. band comes in on the last one with like the big <laughs> hits and that was more like back into my comfort zone distorted guitars and drums hit and the distortion rises until it becomes pure white noise and I think that's how the track ends the sun because then solar system starts with that same white noise evolving into um, the sound of a snare drum being brushed and like water rushing. I like how that worked out. Cause I used like, I think I had a Moog synthesizer in the studio and so I used that to create actual white noise at the peak of the distortion part. Oh, well that part was inspired by, there's this band Elevator to Hell from Eastern Canada, like my favorite band. And they had a song, I think it's called Sleep Experiment Number Five or something like that. and. It's about falling asleep and entering a dream world. And it does that like evolving into pure white noise, like just this gentle hiss, flat, perfect, neutral, blank hiss. I love that. I love like erasing music and tone completely. That's where I took the idea from using white noise as a transition point between those two songs. 
the song Solar System, I just knew it needed to exist because I knew I needed it to be the sun, solar system, universe. I couldn't go the sun, universe. That's like skipping a step. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I like that word, solar system, too. Also in that song, I think about, yeah, I had gone to Mexico with my family and walked through a dry riverbed, like a hike into the back country, thinking about these things in the midst of like working through these ideas. It must have been like January 2002. So I'd probably started recording, maybe halfway done with the sun and being like, okay, what comes next? Here I am in the creek bed, yeah. Here I feel my way in the dark. So every time I sing that song still, or hear it, I just picture that exact creek bed in Mexico. I picture walking there with my family and me like probably walking 50 feet behind everyone, thinking my thoughts, thinking about my music that I was gonna go back to Olympia and record. Oh no, I'm lacking. I want what I see. You fireball have rolled away in shaded valleys. So here I am in the creek bed. So here I feel my way. Is it Fall Flood, I think, that Solar System has the same melody? Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And there's no real reason for that. It's just that that song was stuck in my head the day I was thinking of the song Solar System. <laughs> it's not like a specific reference thematically to that Little Wing song. The more I talk, the more I realize how much of this music is like imbued and made of references and borrowed pieces and fragments of things, especially with Little Wings. Like our friendship during that time was very like freely giving and taking from each other's ideas and notebooks and almost like we were in a universe of our own and no one else was paying attention. Yeah, he's positive, I'm negative. <laughs> yeah, that sums it up, the difference between our two approaches. I used to really like tease him about it or or like I thought it was wrong or something in a way to deny darkness and I like embrace darkness. But now, now I'm older and I realize that everyone's different and everyone has their own approach to it. And like, I maybe like embrace darkness a little more than him or maybe more than most people in my art and in my, the things I pursue. And maybe I come off as being a person who is particularly dark or depressed or gloomy, but the truth is that I'm not those things. I'm happy and maybe it's because of that happiness that I have more of a capacity to embrace those ideas and then Kyle on the other hand I think of as being he definitely is aware of all the darkness it's, and he makes this art that is full of light because he has enough of the darkness already in his like non-musical non-art life I don't know I'm speaking for him now but my perspective on it has changed I used to be a little bit more like pokey about it so like ah don't deny the full spectrum irresponsible but now I'm more forgiving I hope what wonder what treasure map what breaking of day what stream used to flow here
here And now a dusty decay Let the flash flood begin Wash me down the canyon And the image that I used for it was this person I saw playing soccer in a park in Stockholm, Sweden in like 2001, it must have been. I was on tour there with Old Time Religion. I played the drums in that band for a few years. And yeah, we went to Sweden and it was my first time in Scandinavia. And it was just a beautiful summer day in the park and everyone was out. And this very pretty girl was like adeptly dribbling a soccer ball with her knees and just took a picture with my brain. <laughs> and it seemed like a good illustration of planets orbiting around a sun, the way that the ball was bouncing around her. I knew that the melody had a lot of room for interesting harmonies to happen, and Mira is very good at that, and just was really fun to like do some multi-track recording with her and build out those chords with her. You know, I didn't really know what shape it would take. soccer balls on knees Through your skirt I see Your legs gracefully I know you're out there Oh, also I climbed a mountain and had this sort of like near-death experience. That's a big part of this story. Yeah, I had some days off in the fall of 2001 and went into the White Mountains. Just sort of picked a trail at random and went up <laughs> for just a day hike. But it, it snow blew in. It got so dangerous. And I guess that's typical in the White Mountains that the weather can change so quickly. But I remember the signs, the wording on the signs being hilariously dramatic. Like, turn around now or you will die many have passed this sign <laughs> and, you know and it was true like i started off and it was crunchy autumn leaves and then as i got higher it was like six inches of snow and i couldn't see anything and i didn't have the right clothing on i think i did have boots at least but it was amazing it was so beautiful i got to this rocky thing that probably wasn't the summit but i couldn't see any further beyond me it was just it looked like i was on a rock fog below me, fog above me. Like I couldn't see the ground. It felt like I was floating in space or in the clouds. And then I could sort of see some snow-covered small alpine trees through short breaks in the fog. And it just seemed like those are not trees. Those are ghosts. And those aren't even of this world. Those are like from an, the other world, the other side. That was sort of a moment of like looking across the gulf into the abyss or looking at, at death, looking at my ancestors, my grandpa who died, or, you know, like the world of the dead that is not far from us and getting like a glimpse of it. And then I turned around and climbed down and probably went to see a movie at a matinee movie theater, which was one of my favorite activities back then. It was like 
getting cold and wet and then going to eat candy in a movie theater. <laughs> the canyon and see me start to climb at the end of day I just remember that the song universe the first one starts with see me look unveiled when I walk out of the canyon that canyon is the uh, this riverbed in Mexico this might be my favorite one on the album. I like when the drums come in. I also like the distorted bass. It's like, dun, 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 dun. I like the instrumentation. That's what I like about it. And the, the shuffling-ness of the drums. I think it turned out well. And I can compliment myself about it because it was 20 years ago and it was all on accident anyways. The way I recorded the drums was just like, well, let's see what it's like if the mic is here. Oh, great. It's really good today. What good fortune. But who's there to see me walk out? There's no beacon, no sun to block out. No bird of blaze. A close, dark voice says, Do you? So this first song, Universe, I knew I wanted Kayla to sing this one line and she probably chose which notes to sing, but it's not that fun for her probably, for me to just be like, come in here, sing this line right here, sing it like this. I just need your voice. <laughs> Do you really think? There is significance. She, she, she's the kind of friend that would ask questions like that like important and uh, sort of devastating questions. <laughs> but yeah, we it's an important friend that will ask you those types of questions, I think, the hard ones. And I'm aimless, alone and unraveling And above barren wastelands stare at me They know my name And I like that idea also of this album not being a regular album where it's just like the voice of one writer or a band or something. I wanted it to be ambiguous. What's going on here? Like, what's this, a compilation? Who's this singing now? And why does it sound totally different? I wanted it to be confusing in that way. And also in a theatrical way. I wanted characters to like feel and seem different. What do you want? Calvin was perfect for the universe, playing the character, his deep voice. Whatever the voice of the booming sky at night asking like, what do you want? That's gotta be a big voice. It has to be a deep, 
and taunting, like the voice of the night sky. It could only be him, I think. Also just like in that building, being like, you know, running K Records, just sort of seemed like he was already in kind of a overlord position. <laughs> it was fun to cast him in that way. Dun, 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 dun. Those, like those four notes. It probably has a musical term. Is that a light motif, maybe? Or on soundtracks, like a character's, um, you know, when a certain character enters, their motif plays. Maybe it was that, but I just didn't know the name for it and still don't. What's funny is, this is kind of a side point, but I hate musicals and like Broadway and campy theatrical anything. It's like my least favorite thing. It's so corny, I hate it. So it's funny that I made this thing that is skirting the edges of those ideas. How many times have I learned this before? It was always like that during those years in Olympia, recording at Dub Narcotic, living in cheap houses close to the studio, and everyone else in the studio building was just like, oh, people were just around, and nobody had um, employment or money, or like people were just game for anything and collaborating on each other's things. And I actually didn't really like collaborating that much compared to the standard vibe that was going on there. I like to sort of work in seclusion more, but it was nice that people were available. So this Mount Erie album came after a few years, five years of living in that, in that sort of petri dish of collaboration. And I think I had reached a point where I just sort of took for granted that these people were available around me and I was casting them as characters rather than saying, hey, let's collaborate on something together. It would more be like, I have an assignment for you. <laughs> yeah, even the Glow Part 2, which came before this, was more loose and collaborative and friendly. It was more like, I'm working on a song. I'm not really sure what it is yet, but come and listen to it and see if any ideas pop out. There was a little bit more of that, but this Mount Erie album was not that way so much. I pretty much had the ideas aside from the songs that Carl and Kyle did, which were like explicit assignments. Uh, I'm on a boulder over alpine tops I'm peaking I watched you across the big group of singers there's that group singing section does that happen before Kyle comes in Kyle wrote those words we just got a big group of people together I think I put up posters around Olympia that said singers needed uh, 10 a.m. on such and such a day come to Dub Narcotic Studio 
and taught them the song, had the mic set up. Maybe like however many people was on the credits, eight people came in and we recorded them. So for Kyle's rap, basically, I had the beats recorded and he wrote the words, maybe kind of on the spot or maybe he showed up with some, but he did a lot of takes to get in the mood, to get the right voice. And I think he ended up putting like a sleeping bag over his head and crouching down Henry Rollins style and just being like, and like flexing and getting into beast mode. And that was maybe a little bit of a tease. Like I made him step into this area of discomfort and play the role of like death itself. I gave him the assignment. I think he did great. Well, plus it was like a cartoony role. He did it in sort of a vaudevillian, overblown, like villain twiddling his mustache. And then, yeah, do you see what happens is a Big Lebowski reference from <laughs> which there was a lot of that happening during those days. You see what happened. You see what happened. Big Black Death brings on you yeah. with his breath. this promo 12 inch of Bubba Sparks which I don't even really know who he is I just like happened to have this promo 12 inch from a record store and I like Timbaland's production but I wasn't like a connoisseur just whenever I heard it I was like ooh what's that so I was listening to that cassette tape that I had made of that 12 inch a lot on that tour driving around the US by myself and then yeah the drums on um, the part of Mount Erie that Kyle sings the big black cloud they're pretty inspired by Timbaland. Although I didn't have a sampler or a computer or know how to do any of that, so I just made them by hand. Like with, yeah, multi-track recording. Maybe like towards the end of making the Glow Part 2 and definitely on all of Mount Erie, I switched over to recording drums, not recording a drum set, but just recording one drum at a time, each on its own track. So like charting out the beat and individually playing the bass drum, the hi-hat, and then bouncing it all together to usually like a stereo mix. So that would make the drums have this kind of like jilty synthetic, like a little bit too perfect feel, although not perfect at all because I was just manually playing it. I don't even think I used a click track. I would probably start with the hi-hat or some, some kind of grid. But, and it would also allow me to really tune in each drum sound put the snare mic in a weird place and like 
distort it a little bit or put a gate or a compressor on it or the bass drum. Yeah, so on that uh, big black cloud part, there are a couple of different bass drum tones. When I was bouncing them together to the stereo mix, I would turn the different bass drum, switch back and forth between different bass drum tones. One of them was really distorted, almost to the where the, <laughs> this is getting like pretty technical, but the sustain tone of the drum, the boom would, when it's distorted, it would sound like almost a note, like a distorted organ note. So it'd be like, <laughs> like it's not, it's not just a thud, it's, it's a note. That's how, multi-track recording and then bouncing them together. I still do it like that. And also the Carl Blau section we haven't touched on. And Carl just sent me his section of the song. Like, I don't know, I guess it's like the song Mount Erie, second half of it. I think second half, I can't remember. But he just made that. Like he didn't come to Olympia. He just made it on a four track. And I received like this reel to reel tape in the mail. It was like finished. So that's just him. That's like, he wrote it, he recorded it. It's a Carl Blau song that is just like on my album and credited to me. I gave him sort of some character description and inspiration. Well, so he was living at that time in this little house on Trafton Lake outside of Anacortes, which he just happened to be living in the house where I grew up. I moved there when I was seven months, but I lived my whole childhood there, my earliest memories. And so I asked him to write a song from the perspective of the vultures that ate my dead body on top of a mountain and flew away. Kind of a grim assignment, but the fact that he was living in my childhood home, and I think he had just had his daughter was just born in that house. And so, I don't know, the circle of life was very present with him and it was perfect. He wrote some stuff in there in these different voices. I think it's supposed to be the voice of the vultures on one hand and the voice of the wind on the other hand, sort of conversing with each other. I am the candle clutching. Like he, these like memories, those are the fragments of memories he was assigning to me. Man, this sounds so theoretical and obtuse and impenetrable. Sorry to anyone who's listening to this, but yeah, he was like writing from the perspective of kid Phil and elaborating on imagined memories like pulling the candle off the table because we didn't have electricity so it was just a lot of candles and he just thought of them so maybe they're his memories or maybe he just imagined them for me but they're close enough yeah it was perfect it just showed up in the mail one day the Carl Blau song I was so happy to be like wow great it just did it amazing also, I think it was perfect that he wrote and recorded his submission like almost in seclusion, not in the studio, not part of like my sounds, because it is supposed to sound 
like a, an alien presence coming in, these vultures flying in from outer space and the wind blowing. It is a presence from another world. So it was perfect that all the sounds are different and it works really well, I think. I think of Mount Erie as like this fall of 2001 thing. That's when I got the idea for it. It took me a while to record it, maybe like six or eight months. And then it came out kind of a while later because just like it takes a while to make things. So I think it came out in 2003, January maybe. But by that time, it was old to me. By that time I had moved on, it was old ideas. And I had probably changed my band name to Mount Erie by then. I moved out of my house in Olympia in June of 2002. I moved out of the track house, but not into anywhere. I just moved into my pickup truck. And I thought, this is what I'll do forever or for as long as I can. I'll just always be on tour or like my version of tour, driving around and staying at friends' houses. And that lasted until September, it's not that long. And then in September of 2002, I flew to Europe and then had a train pass and did the same thing by train in Europe. And in November, I got a cabin in the north of Norway. I think it was just like a desire that I had in me for a long time. And I still do to do a retreat, basically, like to have a simplified version of life for a period of time to sort of start over. Yeah, it was definitely a turning point in my art and in my life. I decided I was done living in Olympia after five years. And it was an intense five years of like, lots of amazing friendships were formed and it was this utopian time. And so much was made, like my life was made. I became almost a grown up, but it was done. And I needed to like sort of draw a clear line. That's why I say in that Microphones 2020, I like I wrote the name on a piece of paper and burned it in a cave. Like, I didn't literally have a ceremony to end my band name, but I needed to draw a line and say, this is before time, this is after. I was a child and now I'm a grown-up or something, you know, like a clear distinction. Now that I have disappeared, I have my sight Beautiful black You are unveiled Now you're mine Now that I have disappeared I have my sight Beautiful black You are unveiled Yeah, just like being Not an afterlife But rather just like A greater awareness of a, a larger vastness. There are stars beyond those stars. There's something bigger than our lives and deaths. Our lives and deaths and our stories that just kind of play out. There's a greater world beyond that. 
So that's what the idea is with that second song called The Universe. But another reason why I wanted to like start calling my music project Mount Erie was because I felt kind of unresolved about the way the album ended. I didn't know how to end it. And I had all these different ideas for how to end it. And I tried them all out. Just like these little poetic fragments that I couldn't quite figure out how to piece together into a way that would that would be a punctuation mark on this kind of overblown idea that I had tackled. I feel like what I ended up settling on is sort of a cop-out. Like the way the album ends, I still am not satisfied with it. It's just sort of like a non-ending. It's this abstract universe choral thing, these bleeps and bloops of voices going like, oh, 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 like the 2001 soundtrack has a lot of kind of eerie, spooky voices in outer space sound. It's cool and beautiful, but I don't know what it's saying. I don't know what the point of it is. I guess maybe what I settled on was it doesn't have to have a point. Maybe the point is there is no point. And I don't know, that's a little annoying. Mount Erie by saying universe I see your face looks just like mine we are open wide that's okay yeah that's not bad I'm okay with that now Mount Erie part six and seven I think was my way I think I wanted to bring it back down to earth I was married to Genevieve and we were just like living this domestic life of creativity and I wanted to sort of bring these universal, epic, bombastic ideas back down to earth and like into the house and still have it be huge, but in a domestic way, if that makes any sense. So there's songs like the known world, the unknown world, living in the house, looking out the window, like this, the black night that looms every night above the house while you're inside just doing your stuff, washing dishes and looking out the window and sort of like I am in the wilderness you are in the music in the man's car next to me <laughs> like mundane pedestrian moments coexisting right next to this vastness that was the idea with those sequels I haven't thought about this album in a while deeply I've thought about it because like oh I need to repress it or whatever the artwork needs to have this thing happen to it or whatever I thought about it from like a manufacturing perspective but I haven't thought about what, what I was trying to say with it in a while. I didn't really play the songs for very long after I recorded them. You know, it's not that performable, these songs, although I did some. It is strange, I think of it as a, like a stop along the route of the evolution, but it is true that it's unlike all of the other stops along the route. It's not just like some other album that I made, it's, it is unique in my like body of work. I recognize that. What cockiness for this 23-year-old, 24-year-old to be writing 
a vaudevillian like story about dying and sort of playing around with these funny characters in the context of actual death i sort of i don't, I don't want to say like i wanted to disown it exactly but it just felt a little embarrassingly young and cocky although at the same time i feel like it's necessary to be that way when you're young and exploring big ideas i would have done it the same way i think Right after making it, I just sort of went and had my like big solitary retreat time in Norway where I sort of obliterated my own brain and self <laughs> in a good way, including like obliterating that thirst for an answer. So this Mount Uri album to me sounds like a lot of thirst for a meaning in a way that I later sort of grew out of. It doesn't sound like I achieved meaning necessarily it's an album like about asking and wonder and being like subjugated by the hugeness of the question visit lifeoftherecord.com for more information about the microphones you'll also find a link to stream or purchase mount erie thanks for listening